Sangha est invité à revenir à sa respiration. Ainsi, notre énergie collective de pleine conscience nous rassemblera dans un organisme, coulant comme une rivière, sans plus aucune séparation. Laissons la Sangha tout entière respirer comme un seul corps, chanter comme un seul corps, écouter comme un seul corps, et transcender les frontières d'un soi illusoire, nous libérant ainsi du complexe de supériorité, d'infériorité et d'égalité. Thank you.
The adults are invited to practice the same. Breathing in, I know my dad is in me. Breathing out, I smile to my dad. Dad in me. Smiling to dad. Breathing in, I know my mom is in every cell of my body. Breathing out, I smile to my mom in me. Mom in me, smiling. Breathing in, I invite my dad in to breathe with me. Breathing out, I invite my mom and me to breathe out with me. Dad and I breathing in. Mom and I breathing out together. Breathe in with dad, breathe out with mom. July 19, in the year 2012, we are in the still water meditation home in the upper hamlet. And today, the talk is given in French. Look at this plant. Do you know it? Yeah, it's the same plant. Is it the same plant or is it a different plant? The same? Are you sure? 
Is it a different plant? No. The same or different? Let's ask the plant. Uh, the Buddha said, everything is impermanent, everything changes. So this plant has grown during the last three days, right? It's a little bit different. So it's not exactly the same plant, but it's not entirely different plant either. So, the answer is not the same, but not different. That's how the Buddha looks at it. You're five years old, you're seven years old, in about 30 years, you'll be a very big grown-up man or woman. And we're going to ask you, are you the same person as that grown-up, or are you different? That grown-up isn't exactly the same as the child, but he's not completely different either. So the answer is, the middle way, not exactly the same, not entirely a different thing. This plant is not exactly the same plant that we had three days ago, but it's not a completely different plant either. We find the middle way between the two. The other day we meditated on the corn seed. There, uh, three weeks ago, we planted the seed in this little pot. The seed sprouted and gave birth to this plant. We saw that the seed had not died. The seed has not died at all. The seed is still alive. We don't see the seed, but it's still there. So with meditation, we can look at the plant and see the seed. If we don't meditate, maybe we cannot see that seed there in the plant. But we who practice meditation, when we look at the plant, we see the seed, right? This is a source of wisdom called signlessness. The wisdom of signlessness. We don't see the seed, but we know the seed is there without the form of the seed, because the seed has now taken on a different form, the plant. We don't see the seed, but the seed is still alive, and we confirm the presence of the seed there in the plant. 
like when we look at my tea, we don't see the sign, the appearance of the cloud. Yesterday it was a cloud, but today it's become tea. Are the cloud and the tea two different things, or are they the same thing? Hmm? Not the same, not, the, not different things. The middle way. So for a practitioner of meditation, we can still see the cloud there in the tea. Now the cloud has taken a liquid form, like the rain. And if you like, you may transform this liquid into a solid. We can take this tea and make a block of ice. So the cloud is still there. If not in the form of cloud, then in the form of tea or of ice. With the wisdom of signlessness, we can recognize the cloud in its new form. So when a person has died, we think they're not there anymore, but that's not true. If we look deeply, deeply we see the person is still there in another form. Death is impossible. There's always transformation. There's a French man who said, nothing is created, nothing is lost. Nothing is born, nothing dies. That is the scientist Lavoisier. And this is also the teaching of the Buddha. We have the nature of no birth and no death. And now, because you have learned meditation, you look at the plant and you still see the seed. And we can say that the corn plant is a continuation of the corn seed. Okay? Now we look at ourselves. We're a kind of plant, a human plant. And we also began as a seed, a much tinier seed than this corn seed was. In the belly of our mom, our dad planted that seed in the belly of our mom. And we spent nine months in the child's palace, the womb. We don't see that seed anymore, but the seed is still there. We are the continuation of that tiny seed, our mom and our dad. That seed did not come from nothing. It came partly from the father and partly from the mother. So if we look at a boy like this one here, a girl like this one, we can see 
the seed in him and her. We can see the dad in us. We can see the mom in us. Do you think your dad exists outside of you only? That's not true. He also exists inside you. So you can close your eyes and say, Hi, Dad. I know you're in me. And I may invite you to breathe in with me. Father and Son, practice an in-breath together. It's wonderful. Father and Child, breathing in together. Adults can practice this too. Dad, I know you're still here, alive in every cell of my body. And I invite you to breathe in with me. Relaxingly, peacefully. And we can see father and daughter, father and son, generating peace and relaxation in us. This is the wonderful practice of meditation. Mom, I know you're not exactly outside of me, you're also in me. Like the seed of corn inside the corn plant. You're here in me. And I invite you to join me in breathing out. Mother and daughter, mother and son, breathing out, smiling together. This mouth is my mouth, but it's also my mom's mouth. This hand is my hand, but it's also my dad's hand. Transmitted to me. Transmission. If we look with the eye of the meditation practitioner, we can see many things. We see the seed of corn in the corn plant. We can see clouds in the tea. We can see the dad and the son and daughter. So we should remember this. Your dad is not only outside of you. Your dad is in you. You carry your dad always. Thanks to you, your dad will survive, will continue, even if his body disintegrates. He will always be alive in you. So we should remember our dad and our mom are always in us. And every time we feel happy, our dad and mom are happy in us. And every time we suffer, our dad and our mom suffer too. When you smile, dad and mom are smiling at the same time. When you walk mindfully, when you walk peacefully, dad and mom are also walking in peace. So it's very nice for you to do that, to give your dad and mom a chance to walk like that, breathe like that. But not only dad and mom, your grandfather and your grandmother, they're also in you. 
All your ancestors are in you. So every time you look, your ancestors are looking with you at the same time. If you can look deeply with concentration, you can see things. And your ancestors will be able to see things too. So the most beautiful way to be kind to dad and mom and the ancestors is to live happily. If we live happily, dad and mom in us can be happy too. Today we're going to talk about happiness, how to live happily every moment. This is possible. As a young boy, young girl, you can already learn how to live like that in relaxation, in joy, in happiness. There's one thing to remember. The seed of corn is there in the corn plant. The corn plant carries with it the seed. And that seed also had ancestors. So this corn plant also has ancestors and it carries all its ancestors inside. It will grow and offer ears of corn with their own seeds. When you go back to school, you can tell your friends about meditation, and you can tell them about the seed of corn meditation. Meditation helps us to see things that other people cannot see. The same with science. Scientists, when they look with concentration, they can see things that we can't see. They can see the seed in the plant, and they can see the dad in themselves. Every time you get angry with your dad, or your dad gets angry at you, what will happen if dad says something that makes you suffer, if you say something that makes dad suffer, both of you will suffer. When dad makes you suffer, he makes himself suffer at the same time because he is you and you are him. And in Buddhism, when we look at the dad, we see the child. When we look at the child, we see the dad. If we don't see the seed in the corn plant, maybe we're not intelligent enough. We're not a meditation practitioner. We're not a scientist. The seed is there. 
dans la plante de maïs. In the corn plant, Supposons la plante suppose est en colère avec la graine. The corn plant is angry at the seed that's silly because the plant is angry at itself because the seed is the plant. If you get angry at your dad, you're angry at yourself because you are the continuation of your dad. Like the plant is the continuation of the seed. You are the continuation of your dad and your mom. So when you get angry at your mom, you are angry at yourself. That's silly. So we have to organize our life so that we don't get angry because our dad is inside us too. These are the things we can see with Buddhist meditation. So next time you get angry at your dad, you need to breathe in deeply and look to see you are in your dad and your dad is in you. And if you look in this way, the anger will be gone right away. You're saved by wisdom. Okay? When you hear the sound of the small bell children, you can stand up and bow to the Sangha and go outside to continue with the children's program. And I'll meet you all later at the bell tower for walking meditation. Thank you very much. Have a good day. When Sister Chirikong comes back in the room, she will introduce a special guest. I just pointed at his tea and said, there's a cloud inside. Please come up to introduce our guest. She represents all the readers of Express News Magazine in France. The next issue will be on the theme of happiness. So she is here to ask some questions because Tai is known as the master of happiness. He has a lot of happiness and in a very 
stressful life with parenting responsibilities for children, our work, and everything. Everybody has so much stress. How can we find happiness with all that stress going on? Tai only gives one talk per day. He can't give this whole Dharma talk and then do a separate session of interviewing with the reporter. So we asked her to come and represent all the readers of Express Magazine. And uh, it can also benefit all of the listeners to the Dharma talk. I offered her a few minutes of deep relaxation practice and she practiced very well. She can break the day up into different segments. After three hours, it's good if you look for a place or even where you're sitting, just press your back against the back of your chair and lean back, take three minutes of a break. You'll be more relaxed, more fresh. Thank you very much, sister. So, dear Tai, I have three questions. I have three questions to ask you. The first is this. How can Zen Buddhism help us Westerners who are in a kind of crisis in our society? And Tai says, what are the other questions? <laughs> The second question is, can we teach our children to be happy? And the third question is to know if the definition of happiness the traditional definition is consistent with yours. Dear friends, last time we spoke about the practice of taking care of suffering to bring about a feeling of joy and of happiness. There is a very deep connection between suffering and happiness. Happiness must be recognized against the background of suffering. I have been through the war with all its suffering. I can recognize peace much more easily than others can do. So on the background of suffering, we can recognize much more clearly the presence of happiness. Otherwise, we may not even know that happiness is there and we don't feel happy. 
So this is the interbeing nature of suffering and happiness. To understand suffering is to understand happiness and vice versa. In Buddhism, happiness is a culture, it's something to be cultivated. It doesn't just appear by itself. We have to cultivate happiness. The Sanskrit word for this cultivation is bhavana. That means culture. Something's not there, but we can cultivate it. In Buddhism, it is said very clearly, the mind is our soil to cultivate. The Buddha said, dear friends, there is something. If it is left uncultivated, it can cause a lot of suffering. And that same thing, if it is well cultivated, can bring a lot of happiness. What is that thing? The mind. So, happiness doesn't have that much to do with fame, power, money. But with the mind, a mind that sees clearly that can recognize the conditions of happiness that are already available. Happiness and joy are possible right now. So each meditation practitioner should be able, should possess that capacity to handle suffering, to take care of suffering and produce happiness. If we cannot handle the suffering, then we probably cannot have real happiness. For happiness to be genuine, we have to know how to take care of suffering. In these past days, we have been learning the practice of breathing and walking mindfully to take care of suffering and bring a feeling of happiness and of joy. In Buddhism, we speak of three energies that can transform suffering and can bring about happiness, mindfulness, Mindfulness, concentration, and insight. Smriti, samadhi, and prajna. In Sanskrit, these are the words that you can see on the stained glass window of this meditation hall. Smriti is mindfulness, samadhi is concentration, prajna is insight. These are energies that are generated by the practitioner and with those we can very well take care of our suffering and bring about happiness. Mindfulness, smriti, is the energy that allows us to be aware of what's going on in the present moment, in our body, in our feelings, in our mind and in the world around us, in the present moment. 
la pleine conscience est une énergie qui Mindfulness is an energy that can bring the mind back to the body. In our daily life, the body may be here, but our mind is elsewhere. Wandering in the past, in the future, in our projects. So, the mind is not with the body, and we're not really there. When we practice mindful breathing, you breathe in mindfully and with just those two or three seconds you can already bring the mind back to your body and when the body and mind are together there you are in the present moment and then life is available life is available only in the present moment Happiness also is only in the present. So one in-breath taken in mindfulness can do a lot. One in-breath can bring you pleasure. We don't have to suffer when we breathe in. Give yourself the pleasure of breathing in. Do you have the time? Time to live, time to breathe. You breathe all day long, but you don't breathe with awareness. The practice is to bring your attention to the in-breath. And if you do that, you bring your mind back to your body, and then you're established in the present moment. It's like a kind of miracle. In the present moment, you can recognize the wonders of life that can nourish us and heal us. You can recognize many conditions of happiness that are already available. And that way, a feeling of joy can be born easily. A feeling of happiness easily can arise with the help of mindfulness. So we say mindfulness is a source of happiness because with that energy we can recognize the conditions of happiness that are already more than enough and the French people have a song, a wonderful song called What Are We Waiting For To Be Happy? What are we waiting for to celebrate with mindfulness? We can celebrate right now. We don't have to go looking for more conditions of happiness. Buddhism teaches us to live with happiness in the present moment. We don't need to go looking for happiness in the future because the present moment already has plenty of conditions of happiness. If you take a piece of paper and start writing down all the conditions of happiness that are available right now, you'll find that one page is not enough, two pages aren't enough. You're going to have to go get another piece of paper. So recognizing the conditions of happiness, that is the work of mindfulness. And you can take a step in mindfulness or an in-breath in mindfulness to generate that energy 
with that energy here, come back to the present moment, and you can recognize the conditions of happiness that are available. That's why. That's why we say that mindfulness is a source of happiness, not money, not fame, not power, not sex, but mindfulness. And every one of us can generate this energy of mindfulness. When I drink tea, I drink that tea in mindfulness. Instead of just letting my mind wander around thinking about this or that, losing itself in the past or the future, I breathe in to come back to the present moment. And I come back to life. I come back to presence. When I'm live and present, I'm real. And there's something else that's real. Life and my tea. My tea becomes something real if I'm real. If I'm truly established in the present moment, life becomes something real. And the tea is no longer just a ghost. You're sitting in a cafe. You have a cup of coffee, but you're thinking about everything but the coffee. You may be taken over with some anger or fear, worry. You're not really there, and your coffee isn't really there either. So if you are not real, the coffee, the tea isn't real either. But if you are yourself, fully alive, then that cup of coffee or tea is real, and your contact with the coffee, the tea, is deep. You can drink your tea and coffee in the moment, and you're free. Happiness is not possible without freedom. Freedom here is not political freedom. It is freedom with in relation to the past and the future and your worries. Because many of us are caught in our past, cannot live the present moment. Many of us are caught in the future, our fears, our worries about the future. So the future is also a prison. One breath in, taken in mindfulness, brings our mind back to the body. And we can get out of the prison of the past, the future. We get out of our forgetfulness and our freedom. And with that freedom, we can recognize the conditions of happiness that are there, available, and joy and happiness become possible. That breath in, we don't have to suffer to do it. We can have pleasure in our in-breath. When we invite someone to sit down, we don't say, we don't say, take the pain to sit down. We say, have the pleasure, please sit down. 
So from the parking lot, you walk to your office, you walk in a way that the walking can bring you relaxation, peace, and happiness. This is a matter of training, of cultivation. We cultivate peace, we cultivate freedom, we cultivate happiness. Every step taken in mindfulness brings us freedom. Because every step brings us back to the present moment. There's a land, a country called the land of the present moment. And happiness exists in the land of the present moment. Every breath taken in mindfulness, every step taken in mindfulness brings us back into the land of the present moment. You carry it wherever you go, that land. Because you can always use your breathing and your walking to be able to make that wonderful land called the land of the present moment manifest. So we can very well bring about a feeling of joy and a feeling of happiness at any moment. When we speak of feeling, we say there are painful, unpleasant feelings, and there are also pleasant feelings, like happiness. And there are also neutral feelings. If you look into the river of your feelings, you will see the majority of your feelings are neutral feelings. There are painful, unpleasant feelings, and there are pleasant feelings like happiness. Maybe the former are more numerous than the latter. But the neutral feelings are the majority. With mindfulness, we can transform a neutral feeling into a pleasant feeling. And that's a miracle. And immediately we can do it. Imagine that you have a toothache at one o'clock in the morning, you suffer. You have to wait eight hours before the dentist's office will be open, and during that time you suffer. And during the time that you're suffering, you are awakened to the fact that not having a toothache is a wonderful thing. It is a very pleasant thing to have teeth that don't hurt. And you recognize that truth to not have a toothache. A non-toothache is a wonderful, pleasant thing. 
what you wish for during all those hours of the late night and early morning is to arrive at that state of non-toothache. So right now, I think nobody here has a toothache, but can we enjoy the fact that we aren't having any pain in our teeth. So when we use the energy of mindfulness, we touch the truth that a non-toothache in the present moment is wonderful and the feeling of joy and happiness can come straight away. So we can transform that neutral feeling into a pleasant feeling at any moment. You're sitting on the grass with your child. You know how to breathe, to be able to get in touch with the trees, the bird songs. You're happy with your child. Your child may suffer. He wants to go back home and turn on the TV. At that same moment, one person is happy and the other is unhappy. If you are happy, it's because you know how to get in touch with the conditions of happiness that are there. But maybe your child in that moment doesn't know how to do it and you have to teach the child. You should help the child to touch the conditions of happiness that are already available. So we have taught the children the first mantra, Darling, I'm here for you. And then, Darling, I know you're there, and I'm so happy. <coughs> There's also a fifth mantra. Do you know? It is, darling, do you know that this is a happy moment? Any moment can be a moment of happiness. If we know how to get in touch with the conditions of happiness that are already there. So you do that for yourself. You get in touch with the conditions of happiness to generate that feeling of happiness and you help your partner, your beloved, to do the same thing. We are both alive and we are both in good health. We have so many conditions to be happy right here and now. What are we waiting for to be happy? So that's mindfulness that wakes us up, that allows us to be happy here and now. So this week we learned the first eight exercises of the 16 exercises on the full awareness of breathing. The first exercise is recognizing 
the in-breath and the out-breath. Breathing in, I know, and breathing in. Breathing out, I know, and breathing out. We bring our attention to our in-breath and out-breath, and it frees us from the past and the future. I'm with my body, I'm able to get in touch with true life. This exercise is so simple, but it can bring about a miracle. The second exercise. Following. Following the in-breath and the out-breath all the way from the beginning to the end. Breathing in, I follow my in-breath all the way from the beginning to the end. Mindfulness is continuous and we cultivate our concentration. And as there is mindfulness, there is concentration, a pleasant feeling can come about. Not just the energy of mindfulness and the energy of concentration become deeper, but that feeling of well-being during our breathing can grow. Give yourself the pleasure of breathing in mindfully. Give yourself the pleasure of taking a step in mindfulness. We can begin with walking paths that distance from the parking lot to our office. We walk in such a way that every step can bring us relaxation. We can do this. In Plum Village, we learn to walk like that. Walk as a free man, a free woman, free of the past, the future, and our worries. When we walk in that way, we can get in touch with nature and all its wonders. <clears throat> and everyone can do it. A police officer can walk like that. We have offered a retreat to police officers in America. I saw police officers walking like that. They suffered a lot less when they could walk that way. Do you know that the number of police officers who are killed by their own gun is greater than the number of those who are killed in the line of duty? The suffering in the police officers is so great. And one week of practice helped them a lot. Walking, breathing, calming the body, calming the feelings, calming their anger. We have one lay Dharma teacher who was a police officer and continues to serve retreats like this for 
law enforcement in the United States. There's a book from this retreat. It's called Keeping the Peace. In, I follow my in-breath and out-breath all the way from the beginning to the end. It brings about relaxation and peace, happiness, with walking, with breathing, with sitting. If you're sitting in the airport, you're waiting for your flight, you can do this. Sitting, breathing in mindfulness can bring peace, relaxation and happiness. <coughs> the third exercise, breathing in, I recognize that my body is there. Recognizing the presence of the body. So often in daily life we forget that we have a body. You get lost in your computer for several hours continuously. So when you breathe in, you can bring your mind back to your body and you're in touch with the wonder that is your body. Your body contains the entire cosmos. And if you are with your body, then you can get in touch with planet Earth, the most beautiful place in all the solar system. If you are in touch with the most beautiful thing in the solar system, joy and happiness can come right away. The same with our walking. There was a Zen master who said the miracle is not to walk on clouds or on water. The miracle is to walk on earth, not to walk on air or on fire, but to walk on earth. You're free. And every step brings relaxation. Every step nourishes you. Every step heals you. Every step frees you from your worries about the past and the future. That's the miracle. The miracle of walking on earth. Every day, you can perform that miracle at any moment. Walking as a free person, walking in a way that relaxation, peace, and happiness are possible. In Plum Village, we can learn this. We will walk together in this way. And when you walk like that, the kingdom of God becomes something concrete. The land of the present moment is there. So the kingdom of God is there. The pure land of the Buddha is there. This is possible. When we come back to our body, 
We touch the wonders of our body. We can recognize the stress that may be there, the tension in our body. So then we can practice the fourth exercise to be able to release, to let go of the tension in our body. Breathing in, I release the tension in my body. In the sitting position, in the lying down position, or in the walking position, we can very well let go of the tension from our body. So the fourth exercise, releasing tension from the body. When you're doing your dishes, when you're preparing breakfast, when you're setting the table, you can do each of these actions in a way that joy can be there in each moment. That's meditation. You don't have to have a meditation hall to be able to meditate. In the kitchen, we can just as well meditate. We can enjoy each act we do. We can take the water for making tea with mindfulness. And joy and happiness are possible. It all depends on your way of doing those acts. And we need to train. And we have also learned the fifth exercise, which is recognizing a pleasant feeling, bringing about a pleasant feeling. Bringing about a feeling of joy. And the sixth exercise is bringing about a feeling of happiness. With the energy of mindfulness, we recognize the conditions of happiness and joy that are available. And right away, we can bring about those feelings of joy and happiness. You have the capacity to be happy. You need to make use of that capacity to be happy with what? With the energy of mindfulness. By walking, by breathing in mindfulness, you can generate that energy to be able to do this. It's a habit to cultivate. We need to cultivate a ha- habit of happiness. The greatest virtue is the capacity to be happy. If you can be happy, you can help others be happy much more easily. And you can contribute to society. So the fifth and sixth exercises are possible with mindfulness. The seventh exercise is recognizing a painful feeling. 
We don't seek to escape from the painful feelings. Most of us try to run away. We don't have the courage to come back to ourselves and take care of our feelings. Instead of that, we consume so we can forget our suffering. We consume food. We eat even if we're not hungry. We eat to be able to forget that unpleasant feeling, that empty feeling, the fear, the anxiety, all of those things. We don't know how to handle suffering, and that's why we try to consume something to forget it. Maybe the television, newspapers, internet, music, conversations, all those things we may use for that same purpose, to forget, to bury, to ignore the suffering inside. In the practice, in meditation, we know how to how to generate mindfulness and concentration and those enable us to come back to ourselves from a position of strength and we're not afraid. We can say, my pain, my suffering, I'm here for you. And we can very well recognize our suffering and embrace it with a lot of tenderness to be able to bring a relief just like when a mom takes a suffering baby into her arms with a lot of tenderness and the energy of the mom penetrates into the baby's body and the, body su- the baby suffers less right away even if the mom hasn't figured out yet what's going wrong with the baby. So, the relief of pain is possible through mindfulness. We need to act exactly like a mom. Your pain is your baby. You need to take good care of your baby. And if you're a beginner, if you're new to the practice, you should make use of the collective energy of the community to be able to do this. Dear friends, dear brothers and sisters, here's my pain, here's my despair. By myself, as a beginner, I can't handle it. I'm not strong enough to embrace it. Please help me to recognize and embrace this pain. And if you can open your heart and allow the energy of the group to penetrate and embrace your pain, you will feel much better after some minutes of practice. You have begun to take care of your pain. This is one part of the practice of happiness, taking care of suffering. Recognizing the painful feeling and
And the eighth exercise then is calming, soothing the painful feeling. these eight exercises and now we can go further not only to relieve the feelings of pain but to transform the pain into something positive like compassion, peace and joy just like organic gardeners can make use of garbage to nourish plants and flowers and vegetables. Our suffering can also be like a mud nourishing the lotus flower. We can use suffering to nourish our happiness because suffering and happiness are both organic in nature. Happiness can become suffering, love can become hatred, but as a practitioner you don't fear because you know that you can re-transform the pain back into happiness and the hatred back into love. It is possible because you are the gardener of your mind and body, you know how to handle pain and you know how to make use of that pain to cultivate happiness. So the ninth exercise is for recognizing The mind, here, the mind, it means mental formations. Fear is a mental formation. Hatred is a mental formation. Compassion is a mental formation. Jealousy is a mental formation. And in our tradition, we count around 50 mental formations. They dwell in the depths of our consciousness, a seed of anger, a seed of jealousy, a seed of despair. And when a seed manifests, as an energy in the upper level of our consciousness that is called a mental formation. A mental formation. This marker in my hand is a physical formation. My hand is a physiological formation. My fear is a mental formation. And here, the mind means the totality of all the mental formations, 51 categories of mental formations. 
And the mindfulness that we've been speaking about is a mental formation. Concentration is a mental formation. Inside is also a mental formation. These are positive, wonderful mental formations. Compassion, love, happiness. These are positive mental formations. Hatred and despair are negative mental formations. So the ninth exercise is that each time a seed is manifesting as a mental formation, we should recognize that. We should be able to call it by its true name. Call me by my true names. If anger manifests, we're there for it. Hello, my little anger. I know you are manifesting. I'm going to take good care of you. This is the ninth exercise. There's a whole river of mental formations. The meditator sits on the bank of the river, recognizing the birth, the abiding of each mental formation. Each mental formation manifests, stays for a while, and then disappears. It goes back down to its previous position as a seed. And we have already learned how to take care of a mental formation when it manifests. If a positive mental formation is manifesting, we seek to keep it as long as possible in our consciousness. If it is an unpleasant mental formation like anger or fear, we try to replace it with another one. So we learn how to handle mental formations. The tenth exercise is gladdening the mind. This is something we have learned in the practice of right diligence. So happy, happiness, seeds of happiness, we want to give them the chance to manifest. The good seeds in ourself and in our partner. We should do things in such a way that the positive seeds have the chance to manifest. When those good seeds manifest, you feel happy and the other person is happy. And when they have manifested, you seek to keep them with you as long as possible. The negative seeds, we try not to give them a chance to manifest in you or in the other person. If they have already manifested, then we try to do something so that they can return to their original location as a seed. 
and invite a positive seed to manifest. Your mind is like a living room and you can decide to invite whichever visitor you want. You want to invite visitors that will bring you happiness like compassion, like understanding, non-violence, joy. Invite those into your living room and try to keep them as long as you can. For the others, try not to keep them around too long. We have learned that as the tenth exercise of mindfulness, gladdening the mind. The eleventh exercise, Concentrating the mind. And the twelfth is liberating the mind. There's a pain, a suffering. You can use meditation, concentration, to look deeply into the nature of that suffering. And a powerful concentration will give you the breakthrough, will help you to make a breakthrough and bring you the insight. So you understand the nature of your suffering and that will liberate you. So we don't only recognize and bring relief to our painful feelings like in the 7th and 8th exercises, but we can also look deeply and have a breakthrough that liberates us with the practice of concentration, the eleventh exercise. There are three concentrations that can be found in all the schools of Buddhism. This is a fundamental practice for transforming suffering. Not only for bringing relief, but transformation at the base. So these three practices of concentration, samadhi, are taught in all Buddhist traditions. The first is called shunyata, emptiness. When you look at something like a flower, mm-hmm. 
Meditating means having the time to look. When you look deeply with concentration, you can see things. You can see a cloud in the flower, just like the children. We're able to see the seed of corn in the corn plant. We know very well that without the cloud, there's no rain. And the flowers cannot grow. So there is a cloud in this flower. If I can take the cloud away, that flower wouldn't exist anymore. So to see the non-flower elements that are there in the flower, we also see the sun. We know that without the sun, Flowers cannot grow. So the sun is there in the flower. The sun is a non-flower element. And we can see the earth, we see the minerals, we see the heat, we see the gardener, we see everything. It seems to me that the entire cosmos has come together to help this flower to manifest as a wonder. So for me, this flower is full of the cosmos, and we too, we are flowers in the garden of humanity. And the entire cosmos is in us. If we look deeply, we see food, all the elements are ancestors. We have human ancestors, but we also have animal ancestors and vegetal ancestors and mineral ancestors. They are in us, and when we walk, all our ancestors, animal, vegetal, and mineral, walk with us. So I am made of non-me elements. The flower is made of non-flower elements, and the whole cosmos is in this flower. In Buddhism, we say, it's true, the flower contains the whole cosmos, but there is one thing that is not in that flower, the flower doesn't have, a separate existence. There is no separate entity. The flower has no separate identity because the flower is made only of non-flower elements. The same is true with everything else. Buddhism is made only of non-Buddhist elements. And the Buddha is made only of non-Buddha elements. The flower is made of non-flower elements. So the flower is empty of a separate substance. The flower is full of the cosmos, full of the cosmos, but the flower is empty of a separate self-identity. The me, the self. So when we look at our own selves, we see we are full of food, education, but there is no me. You are only the continuation of your mom, your dad, your ancestors. You don't have a separate existence. 
to meditate means to have the time to touch this nature of emptiness in each phenomenon. You are full, but you are empty, full of everything, empty of a separate self-existence. The fact is that the flower cannot be by itself. It has to intervene with everything else. So to be is to intervene. The Buddha said this very simply. This is because that is. If this is not, this is not because that is not. Just like the left and the right. Do you think that the left can exist all by itself? No. The left is always going along with the right. The presence of the left confirms at the same time the presence of the right. If you are politically on the left, you should not try to eliminate the right. If the right dis disappears, you will disappear at the same time. So this insight is called right view. And when you look at happiness, you see that happiness is made of non-happiness elements including suffering. Without the mud, we cannot have the lotus flower. Without suffering, we cannot have happiness. And a practitioner is someone who can make good use of suffering to be able to produce happiness. That's why for happiness to be possible, we have to know how to handle, to take care of suffering. We have to know how to take care of suffering, to transform suffering into happiness. The kingdom of God is a place where there is suffering, but a place where everyone knows how to make use of suffering to produce happiness for themselves and for others. So happiness is a practice. When we touch the nature of emptiness in each person, in each phenomenon, we don't see any separate existence. We see that everything has the nature of no birth and no death. Yesterday we talked to the children about the cloud. The children understood very well. Can a cloud die? The children saw that it is impossible 
for a cloud to die. To die means from something we become nothing at all. From someone we become no one. That's our idea of death. That's what we mean by the word death. From being we go into nothingness. But with meditation we cannot find anything that is like that. It is impossible for a cloud to die. It is possible for a cloud to become snow, rain, hail. But for the cloud to become nothingness is impossible. So the true nature of the cloud is the nature of no death and no because before being in the form of a cloud, the cloud has been something else, water in the ocean, and so on. So the cloud, has the nature of emptiness. The cloud doesn't have a separate self. For example, let's say that half of the cloud has transformed itself into rain. Imagine you are a cloud and half of you has already been transformed into rain. You can watch yourself falling down to the earth and becoming a stream. And you can just say, have a good trip, I'll see you soon. You're up there, but you're also down here. So in our daily life, we need to be able to look in this way. We know that I'm here, but I'm also out there. I am the dad, but I am also the child. Even if you're very young, your children are already there in you. Those children are just waiting for the time to them to manifest. So, if you know someone who has passed away, someone dear to you, do not think that person has gone from being to not being. It is impossible for that person to die. If you have the eyes of the meditator, you will be able to recognize that person in new forms. So, if your cloud is no longer there in the sky, you shouldn't cry. Your cloud is always there in another form. And the rain is calling to you, darling, darling, I'm here. Don't you see me? Don't cry. I'm still here. That is the eye of the meditator who can see, that can touch the reality of no birth and no death. And that insight liberates you from your despair.
Your loved one is still in you. You need to look deeply to recognize his or her continuation. You should not cry because you don't see the seed of corn any longer. That seed of corn is still there in the corn plant. So that insight, prajna, the third energy, liberates you from despair, from anxiety, from everything. That is the meditation on emptiness. Everything is full of the cosmos, but nothing has a separate existence. Everything is empty of separate self. We cannot be, we can only inter-be with one another. Just like the left and the right, like happiness and suffering. The left is based on the right to be there. The right depends on the left. They manifest simultaneously. That's interbeing. We cannot just be by ourselves. We always have to interbee with everything. The nature of reality is the nature of emptiness. If we can recognize that, we are free. The scientist Lavoisier said, nothing is born, nothing dies, everything transforms. It's very beautiful what he said. An insight can bring us true happiness. With that insight, we're no longer the victim of fear. Of wrong perceptions. So, the practice of mindfulness, of concentration, can help us make a breakthrough into reality and be able to get that insight, prajna that can liberate us from our despair and pain. That's concentration. The first concentration is the concentration on emptiness. And modern science is discovering emptiness. Quantum physics the second concentration is signlessness. Signlessness. We should not rely on appearances. Your beloved cloud is no longer there in the form you remembered. But don't think that your cloud has died. It is impossible for your cloud to die. 
So look with the eye of signlessness, the wisdom of signlessness, and you will see that your cloud is still there in a new form. And science confirms this because the first law of thermodynamics is about the conservation of matter and of energy. It says nothing can be created and nothing can be destroyed. Matter, energy can never be created or destroyed. There's no beginning or end. These are just notions. When we can see with the mind of signlessness, we're no longer the victim of despair and suffering because we have already removed the notions of being and not being, birth and death, because those notions cannot be applied to the ultimate reality. So this insight liberates us from fear and despair. And if you have someone who has left that form that you were used to seeing, do not think that person is gone. She's still there. Look again. Darling, I know you're still here. You're still here. So, the cloud is no longer there, but you drink your tea and you recognize your cloud, your loved one in your tea, and you can smile at that cloud now in liquid form. So you can see things because you have that wisdom of signlessness, because you have practiced concentration on signlessness. So the third concentration is Aimlessness. Aimlessness. In Sanskrit, the concentration on emptiness is called shunyata. Signlessness is animita and Aimlessness is apranihita. Apranihita means not pursuing, not putting something in front of oneself to run after. Even if it's power, money, fame, sensory pleasures, 
l'amenant pour cette. Aimlessness. Et c'est une condition de base pour le bonheur. And this is a basic condition for true happiness. C'est parce que vous Not pursuing. Because you know the practice, you can bring your mind back to your body, establish yourself in the present moment. That's why you can recognize all the conditions of happiness that are available in the present moment. You can be happy right away. You are already what you want to become. You are a wonder. Why do you want to make yourself into something else? Like this flower, it's a wonder. It can be happy. It doesn't need to be a different flower. It doesn't seek to be a lotus flower. Look at yourself, you're a wonder. And you belong to the kingdom of God. Why seek to be someone else? Are you looking for nirvana or paradise? the kingdom of God. Nirvana is already here in you. You are established in Nirvana because Nirvana is the ultimate reality. Free of all these notions like notions of being and non-being, notions of birth and death, Your cloud dwells in nirvana because the cloud's nature is the nature of no birth and no death. That's why your cloud can be happy as a cloud, but if it becomes rain, It can be happy as rain. If it becomes tea, it can be happy too. It doesn't have to try to find happiness elsewhere. Happiness is possible now. So one in breath and mindfulness can already bring us... One in breath and mindfulness can bring us happiness and peace. Let's say we look at a wave rising off the surface of the ocean. As a wave, it has a beginning and an end, a rise and a fall. It may be more beautiful or less beautiful than another wave. And all those notions make the wave unhappy. It's afraid. It's afraid of the death that's coming. It thinks it's had a beginning, so it has to have an end. And that's why 
When the wave comes up, it has fear and anxiety. When it goes down, it's afraid. When the wave looks at itself and it looks at other waves, it makes comparisons. I want to be like that wave. There may be a complex of superiority or inferiority or equality. It makes the wave's life. Problematic. But the wave may do meditation. It may look into itself and realize that it is water. It is a wave, of course, but it can also live its life as water. In fact, it is water. And from the perspective of water, there is no beginning and there's no high and low, no rise or fall. Once the wave knows it's water, it loses all it loses all its fear. It laughs rising up and it laughs going down. Does the wave have to go looking for water? It is already water in the present moment. So we don't have to go looking for nirvana or the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is in us. And the gospel has said this. So nirvana is the extinction of all notions, including the notion of being and non-being, birth and death. And we are well established in nirvana. We don't need to go search for it. Our nature is the nature of no birth and no death. Like the nature of the wave. So with the practice of aimlessness, we can stop completely the running. We're so used to running, even in our sleep, our dreams, we're always running after something. We think that in the present moment we can't be happy. And that's why we're always seeking, we sacrifice this moment for the future. But with this practice we can stop. And when we stop, there is calm, peace. And we can recognize that everything is already here, including the kingdom of God, wonders of life, nirvana, liberation. That is the cream of the teaching and the cream of the practice, the concentration on aimlessness. These three concentrations are called the three doors to liberation.
giải thoát môn Emptiness, signlessness, aimlessness can remove notions like being and non-being. To be or not to be, that is not the question. These are just notions. The ultimate reality is free of notions. And God too, God cannot be qualified as being or not being. These are notions. The ultimate reality cannot be described in terms of being or non-being, beginning or end, birth or death. That is nirvana. And it is our true nature. So, practitioners of meditation can bring relief, but the greatest relief is obtained only when we touch the nature, our nature of no birth and no death, nirvana. If you ask whether nirvana exists or not, you have fallen into the old trap. Just like debating whether God exists or not, God is like nirvana. That ultimate reality cannot be described in terms of being or not being. And it is possible to touch. And science can go hand in hand with the practice of meditation to discover the ultimate nature called nirvana or God. <laughs> Sister Chen Kong just told Thai that time is up. I put his palms together. So now we have a chance to practice walking meditation. Every step can bring relaxation, can put us in touch with the wonders of life.